Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio. A few days later than normal, but I guess things happen for a reason because there's a lot to discuss. A lot of it, not the fun part of football, no doubt about it, but certainly we're going to have a very interesting hour with you tonight. Uh, we, I'm, of course, with the, my two cohorts, as usual, Thomas the Wizard Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, who always does such a great job producing this show. And, of course, from 88 to 93, national champion William Redfish Barger, former University of Alabama offensive lineman, still, you know, keeps his uh, ear to the ground very close to the program. And we always enjoy getting his thoughts on everything. And certainly we're going to have a lot to discuss, but let's get right to it. it. Happened late in practice yesterday, from what I understand. His knee locked up, and then, uh, which is a non-contact kind of thing, but with the Alabama luck lately, that happens. Inside running play, running back goes low, takes a uh, helmet to the knee, and the rest you already know. Dylan Moses now out for the season with a torn ACL. Could be an MCL as well. Uh, it's a pretty severe injury going to be out for the entire season now. I said this going in, that there was two guys that I thought were irreplaceable, and that was Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Dylan Moses. Going to make this journey to the top of the mountain if Alabama wants to do it much, much tougher. Uh, but And now, for the first time, we're going to see really how good this recruiting class is. We think it may be as talented as any Nick Saban's ever signed, and it's going to have to be because due to circumstances, uh, you know, some misses in recruiting the last couple of years uh, and due uh, uh, and then uh, and then due to also, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, some injuries and really unprecedented injuries at this spot for the last three seasons. The University of Alabama looks like will start, uh, you know, a, a, a two true freshmen inside at the mic, which would be Shane Lee the true freshman early enrollee from Baltimore, Maryland, St. Francis Academy. And then, of course, uh, the, uh, the uh, prodigy, I'll call him that, because he's really been amazing, his shooting up the depth chart. Of course, part of that's due to injury also to Joshua McMillan. Uh, but, of course, Christian Harris from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, set to start uh, at the will spot. But it's unbelievable that since fall camp, Alabama has lost their two projected starters to ACLs the fifth-year senior Joshua McMillan, and the true junior Dylan Moses now out for the season for the University of Alabama. And I'll make a slight correction, 89-93 for William Redfish Barger. It has been a long day for me. I'm tired. My phone has been melting, so forgive me for that. But we always enjoy William joining us. William, welcome back to the show. Uh, Just some very unfortunate injury news for Alabama and really going to put this defense to the test, uh, you know, uh, early in the season. No, it's not a big deal, Drew, but I'm I'm pushing about 15 to 16 months from turning 50. So I just assume not have you getting me there quicker than I'm going to get all, all, all natural. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, our, our mutual friend Todd Tipton is turning 50 in just a couple of days right before you. So, yeah, I, he'll feel your pain. And uh, he's certainly uh, – and I'm, and I'm 44 myself, so – uh, it's the, the years fly by. There's no question about that. But again, uh, Dylan Moses now out, uh, you know, uh, and now Joshua McMillan, the same, uh, a, a, a starting duo that was going to be very experienced with high expectations. Now is the complete opposite. A lot of talent, but extremely inexperienced. 
Yeah, you know, I'll get to my confusion as to the, the meltdown here in a minute before we get started. Happy birthday early to Tip. I hadn't talked to him in a while, but great guy. Um, you know, I think, you know, you can certainly take the, um, you know, the side of the debate with them losing McMillan and replacing him with Christian Harris, albeit, you know, zero experience, but, but certainly a higher ceiling and a better athlete. But um, you know, first of all, I hate it for Dylan Moses more than anything. This is his, you know, second significant injury um, during his Alabama career. You know, the foot injury in, in 17 was late in the season, so it didn't, you know, cause him to miss the season. But still, you, you hate to see that medical jacket start to thicken on him when he's, you know, getting so close to being an NFL prospect. But, you know, you know, Drew, I, I just – I guess I just have a different, you know, approach or outlook on it. I, I think, you know, it'll give – some other guys, uh, you know, like Shane Lee, and you, know, you might be some other people rotate in there before, um, you know, they get into the meat of the SEC schedule. Um, you know, come November, both of these guys aren't going to be true freshmen anymore. They'll be very experienced. Um, and, you know, and it could be a, a you know, a, a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, I, like I said, I hate it for Dylan Moses more than I do for the team because this is a, you know, a tough one. And you never really know how, um, somebody's going to recover from an ACL, albeit it's a little bit more predictable now than it was 25, 30 years ago. But um, I, I think they're going to be fine. You know, I think probably the biggest loss is, you know, the experience, the the signal caller, um, you know, in, in that aspect of it. But, you know, come November, I'm sure they'll have somebody, um, you know, in that spot that can get the job done. And, you know, they, they've got a lot of, you know, experience around them on that defense. Um, especially with the two outside linebackers. So I don't think it's the end of the season. I don't think you, uh, you know, you cancel your reservations for, for the college football playoffs in, in December. Um, you know, this is still a very talented football team. Um, unfortunately, they've just had, you know, two injuries at two positions where they really couldn't afford to, um, you know, take those kind of dings. But, you know, I've seen football teams overcome, uh, you know, more dire circumstances, and I expect this one too as well. Well, I want to ask you something because you went through it as a player. Um, certainly in 1990, uh, you were on all SEC freshmen on that offensive line. and That season started with a, a lot of expectations coming off the 89 run, which, you know, nearly was an SEC title and playing Miami in the Sugar Bowl. And then everything kind of came apart offensively because of the injuries to Craig Sanderson. Uh, Prince Wembley, Saran Stacy, but but that team steadied itself and went on to beat Auburn and beat Tennessee and go to the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, how long did it take you guys to kind of re? You know, I know mentally it had to be tough early, but then to to get, I mean, started the season zero and three, but then to to finally steady yourself and turn it around. You know, I I, I don't think that you know that that offense was ever going to be a you know, a juggernaut offense, certainly with the loss of Homer Smith and, and changing from a, a West Coast offense, um, you know, to, to and having a, a quarterback that certainly wasn't a prototypical um, pro-style quarterback in Gary Hollingsworth. I mean, he'll even admit himself he didn't have the strongest arm in the world. Um, you know, it was never going to be a, a, a passing, happy offense. Um, you know, losing, you know, the two top wide receivers didn't help things, um, 
you know, any at all, but, um, and certainly losing a, a great running back like Saran Stacy, um, might've been the biggest blow of, of all those injuries on, on that same side of the ball. But, um, you know, it certainly was an adjustment. Um, you know, it caused some guys that, um, you know, weren't probably going to be in the 2D roster at the wide receiver position. I mean, um, I, I can remember, you know, by the Auburn game, you know, a guy named Junior Sewell who was buried on the depth chart at the beginning of the 1990 season at running back because um, while he didn't suffer a season-ending injury, um, you know, a guy that Alabama fans are very familiar with now, but they certainly worked in 1990, uh, Derek Lassick was basically – um, hurt for the majority of the season on and off with various different injuries. So, you know, both the wide receiver position and the tailback position got depleted pretty quickly. Um, you know, the, you know, I, I, I got to start the last, I think, four games of that season due to an injury to Chris Robinette. Um, so, you know, I was a redshirt freshman. Matt Hammond was a redshirt freshman starter at left tackle on that offensive line. So, you know, it, it, it certainly didn't, work out the way it was supposed to but um you know i think probably if you want to talk about that season it ended on a really really high note um you know with the victory over auburn and, and you know certainly turned into a debacle i've always referred to it as the fiasco bowl out there in Tempe, <laughs> um you know versus louisville because that, that's what it turned into real quickly um that afternoon versus louisville was a fiasco but um <laughs> you know it had an impact for sure um and uh, you know, was those those injuries all occurred in the first, I think, two ball games, and uh, you know, to lose three of your best offensive players in the first two ball games, you know, the ball got deflated pretty quickly. But um, you know, certainly the depth situation was was a lot different then uh, than it is for the 2019 Alabama, um, you know, defense. Um, you know, they've got a lot of scholarship guys left to go on that linebacker depth chart. And so, you know, some guys that I'm excited about seeing what they can do. Um, you know, I think certainly, you know, during, uh, you know, the month of September, you're not just going to see Christian Harris and Shane Lee. I'm sure you're going to see some, uh, some of Cahoe. You're going to see some of Jalen Moody. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're going to be fine. You know, I think we'll, uh, I think the biggest challenge that, um, you know, Pete Golding is going to face not only as their position coach, but also the signal caller is, is, you know, is it Christian Harris? Is it Shane Lee? You know, who's going to be? The, do they, you know, kind of shift the emphasis over to maybe an Anthony Jennings who's been in the system, um, you know, a lot longer? Do they, do they, you know, go to him as, as far as getting everybody lined up? You know, does, does one of the safeties take over? You know, I guess they're going to have to make the decision on who actually – um, you know, is the most football cerebral, um, you know, of those guys. But, I mean, they, they've got a lot of really phenomenal football players, um, you know, both coming back and some young guys that are going to be factoring in on that side of the ball. So, I, you know, I just don't think it's the end of the world. You know, they've got basically four ball games, I think, for, you know, to tune up before they have to go out to uh, College Station and play Texas A&M. So, you know, man, just sit back and enjoy the season. I, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm mourning the loss of Dylan Moses for Dylan Moses' sake. Um, you know, not just 2019 defense. Well, and I got to say too that, uh, and, and we'll get the we'll get this out of the way. It's probably the only other negative deal. Uh, but in your opinion, William, 
uh, certainly not Jeff Allen and the medical staff. Jeff's the national trainer, uh, athletic trainer of the year. Uh, they've done a great job with the injuries. They uh, rehabbing. They've uh, you know they they have cutting edge technology. They heck, I mean Alabama's a uh, you know uh, university personnel created the medical tent, so they know how to get the players healthy. What do you think should happen going forward uh, with all this rash of injuries? Uh, you know, with the linebackers the last three years, I mean, uh, they, Alabama's had injuries. I mean, in 2012, they had not just not linebackers, but several guys go down and they overcame that to win a national championship. Uh, they've had it's just it seems like, though, in the last three years, uh, either inside or outside backers have been ravaged. Uh, is there anything that can be done? I don't see how for me, in my opinion, first of all. I know that uh, it's tough. A lot of these injuries are non-contact. Certainly Joshua McMillan's was on a swing pass in the flat. Uh, as I said, uh, Dylan Moses' his knee locks up, and then he takes a helmet to the knee. I don't see how you prevent those. But what can be done in your mind? Um, you know, I, I think they could certainly, you know, it's too late in the process now. I mean, there's not going to be a philosophical change. Um, you know, I think you're referring to the strength and conditioning side of this um, debate. Um, there's not going to be a philosophical wholesale change, you know, uh, three days before the first ball game of the season. Uh, but, but I think, you know, the way Nick Saban sits down, you know, at the end of each year and kind of self-scouts and evaluates where they're at as a program, um, you know, I certainly think it would be beneficial and, and a, a step in the right direction if, if they maybe – um, you know, reevaluated and, and looked real hard and heavy, um, you know, what they're doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint. You know, you know, every time somebody hurts their foot, um, you know, the fan base starts bitching and complaining and, and dog cussing Phil Knight and Nike for providing substandard cleats. Um, they're wearing the same cleats that every other big-time college football program that's under a Nike contract wears. Um, you know, you know do, do they need to maybe spend more time and focus on flexibility and mobility? You know, I, I can't answer that question. But, you know, I think if you look at the last, you know, three years and you look at the number of players, um, and certainly I think something that you have to factor in is, you know, looking at these kids and did they suffer any significant injuries, um, you know, prior to coming to Alabama. That's certainly a contributing factor as well. And also, too, from a strength and conditioning and a, a athletic training and medical staff standpoint, um, you know, are these guys, you know, kind of jinxed with bad bodies a la Brody Croyle, that they're, they're injury prone or susceptible to serious injuries? Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but, but certainly I think something needs to be looked at. I'm not saying, you know, fire people, and, and you certainly don't want to, go in a 180-degree direction from what's made you so successful, um, you know, since 2007. But, yeah, I certainly think it's worth looking at, um, you know, certainly the way the practices are structured um, might need to be looked at. I mean, I know they're already, you know, on the cutting edge of, of GPS technology with how many reps each guy gets on a, on a daily basis, and those guys get put on pitch counts, and they get removed from practice if they get – you know, close to, uh, you know, what the parameters say for, um, you know, each position group or each individual player for that matter. But, yeah, I, I think it's worth spending some time in January and February going into spring practice um, and, and the winter conditioning program to maybe sit down and say, is there something that we could do different or something that we could do better?
I could just go over real quick. Uh, there's a chart I found with the linebacker injuries. 2009, we all remember very well Dante Hightower going into his sophomore year. Injured, missed most of that national championship season uh, with an early season injury. Not any really in 2010. 2011, C.J. Mosley goes down late in the year in that national championship beatdown of LSU. And we'll have more on the idiotic comments and recklessness of the new athletic director, Scott Woodward, uh, as he uh, just really sticks his foot so far in his mouth. I can't even believe it. Some of these LSU people just blow my mind. and They want to wonder why they get their asses beat every single season. And they just cannot shut up and zip it. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. C.J. Mosley, 2011. Then Denzel Duvall missed some time in 2014 with an injury. And then, unfortunately, for the next two years, uh, in 2016-2017, Sean Dion Hamilton uh, gone for the season. Rashawn Evans missing a little bit of time in 2017. Uh, Christian Miller uh, also, and uh, Terrell Lewis. Uh, and then, uh, as we remember, against Florida State. Uh, then Mac Wilson with a foot injury. Uh, and then Dylan Moses is the foot injury that William was referring to. This uh, last season, Terrell Lewis and Chris Allen before the season, and then Christian Miller late in the year, and now so far, Joshua McMillan and Dylan Moses. So a lot of it is just in the last, uh, you know, three to now four years. It's just been unbelievable injuries to this inside and outside linebacker crew. Hopefully they're getting them out of the way. But, William, I guess the only uh, silver lining in all of this, and you've referenced it a little bit in what you just said in your comments, is if Dylan Moses was going to get hurt, he got hurt early, and now they have not a lot of time before Duke, but they do have time to prepare. And then, as you said, to get these guys ready for this road trip to Texas A&M at the beginning of October. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think a lot of those, you know, injuries that you touched on, Drew, those are all, um, you know, um, ligament-type injuries, bone breaks, stuff like that. Um, you, know, you certainly would want to factor in, um, you know, Reuben Foster's chronic neck problems, but that's the good point. You know, kind of what I, kind of what I was touching on with the Brody Kroll syndrome. You know, that was a genetic defect that he had with his neck. Uh, something I'm sure that he still struggles with in the NFL. Um, you know, just being a natural head hunter and leading with his head played a big part in that. And a lot of football players um, struggle with chronic stingers, so. Um, but there, there's a lot of different ways, you know, you could look at this and take it. Um, and, and like you said, um, they, they do have some time. Um, you know, Shane Lee has been taking second-team reps, you know, all through fall camp and, and certainly through the first part of, uh, you know, game prep for Duke. And, uh, you know, I, I, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. I mean, it, and again, you know, you, you might see, you know, a Shane Lee in there, um, you know, in first and ten, third and short situations, um, you know, probably more so against, uh, you know, downhill running teams, even though there's fewer and fewer of those type of offenses left out there these days. And, you know, you might see somebody else, um, you know, come in, much like you saw, a, you know, a guy that was, you know, a little bit more fluid um, that drops into coverage a little bit better. You know, Shane Lee's a, a shorter, squattier guy. And, uh, you know, it's probably better in the box versus dropping in the coverage. You know, I've yet to see him play a college football game, so I really don't know that for sure. Um, but, you know, again, I, I just don't think it's a, 
you know, Alabama fans should say that, you know, because there's a lot of this, you know, conversation out there. All the season's over with. Clemson's won the national championship. We'll be lucky to win the SEC. Um, you know, that that's just a defeatist mentality, and I can assure you um, it's certainly not one that Nick Saban shares. Um, and it's certainly not one that anybody that's ever been a competitor at any level of, you know, competitive sports has ever shared. So, yeah, it's just part of it, man. When one guy goes down, it's a next man up situation. And, um, you know, certainly with Alabama's struggles and, you know, making a few bad evaluations over the last three years at this position, that, that kind of, you know, gets the spotlight put on it, um, you know, a little bit more. And, and you know, there again, um, you know, it's, it's going to make Nick Saban's job. Certainly he's not in this, you know, totally in this mode right now because he's focused on the 2019 season. But, you know, it ought to make his job of, you know, finishing up this recruiting class, you know, with a couple of spots left open at inside linebacker. Um, you know, it ought to make his sales pitch a little bit better. You know, hey, we've got a, you know, a, a, a habit, um, I guess, um, over the last few years of losing guys at this position. So even though that depth chart may look stacked right now, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be when reality hits. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I just prefer to look, I guess, at the, you know, that the glass is half full versus half empty. And, you know, I'm just excited that the season's here and, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, let an injury to Dylan Moses or Joshua McMillan or Trey Sanders or really anybody for that matter, um, diminish what's the, you know, my favorite time of the year. Yeah, and we're going to bring Thomas Watts into this conversation now. Uh, Thomas, your thoughts? Well, I think the thing, whenever something happens, you try and, to me, I try and break down what is probably going to happen. And then if someone else says something, I ask why. And there's been a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth about Dylan Moses' injury. No, there's no national championship. Clemson's going to win the national championship, blah, 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 blah. Alabama will struggle to win the SEC. Well, I hate to play play that be that guy, but Georgia's a good football team. You know, Alabama's not going to be able to waltz into Atlanta against the Georgia Bulldogs should the should the cards chips fall that way, excuse me, and just beat Georgia. You know, a lot of stuff can happen in that game. You know, need I remind through our our listeners that over the past two years, it's taken some pretty significant heroics from backup quarterbacks to beat a good Georgia team. But I digress. Dylan Moses' injury, to me, makes me pose a simple question. And the simple question is, who's going to make the critical plays? If you look at the Alabama football team over the past 10 years, under Nick Saban, as Alabama's season has progressed... There have been anywhere from 10 to 15 plays, you know, sometimes more on offense, sometimes more on defense, that absolutely define the season. You know, th- the, the obvious examples, Tua Tonga-Vailoa's pass on second and 26. Well, if you really break that down, that play only happens because of a string of improbable plays that Alabama makes through the back half of that game. You know, go back and watch the Calvin Ridley touchdown that Tua throws on fourth down. That play shouldn't have worked. I mean, Najee Harris got interfered with, but that play shouldn't have worked because I just sincerely doubt the refs call the P.I. there. On the other side of things, and this is and this is where I'm really going to get to the point, I go to the Clemson pick plays against Deshaun Watson that Clemson beat Alabama with. 
it's been reported multiple times that Sean Deion Hamilton and Eddie Jackson, both starters on that team at the beginning of the season, but lost to injury, were shouting, watch the pick play. Well, it's one thing to shout, watch the pick play from the sidelines. It's completely different ball of wax to shout, watch the pick play when you're on the field and you can actually do something about it. So the my reaction to the Dylan Moses thing is now Alabama has a question. Who's going to make the critical plays? And that's a question that we don't know. Can it be Shane Lee? I don't see why not. Yes, there's some factors that are going against him. But at the same time, there are some factors where, as William said, the meat of the SEC schedule, you know, he can he can just dotter around until the middle of October when Alabama plays Texas A&M. But, you know, that's that's the question. The problem comes in when people just assume that because it's a question, it is the absolute answer vis-a-vis essentially because Alabama does not know who can make the absolutely critical plays, can count on them to make the critical plays, they will not make the critical plays. And that's just a bridge too far for me. I hate it for Dylan Moses. There are guys on the team, at least from a talent perspective, that should be fairly effective in that role. It's not going to be as good as Dylan Moses because, again, Dylan Moses has been hyped as a top 20 draft pick. He's preseason All-America. You know, he's uh, he's on the butt kiss watch list. You know, he's got all these preseason awards that make you think he's going to have a big season, including Kirk Herbstreet saying that Dylan Moses was going to be the breakout star for the country this year. So, you know, that's but the reality is there is time for Alabama to fix to answer that question, excuse me, in a positive way. Now, obviously, there are going to be steps that have to be taken for this question to be answered in a way that Alabama fans want to see. But I don't really know what else you can ask for, given the reality that Dylan Moses is no longer available. You know, Nick Saban has engineered a fantastic dynasty over 12, the past 12 years, 13 years, however the heck long he's been at Alabama. Now it feels like forever, which I'm okay with. And you've got guys in position. It's not like you have Dylan Moses and then his backup Thomas Watts with bad knees. I can tell you, we'd be well and truly screwed if that was the case, but that isn't it. So it's unfortunate, but it's not unsolvable is the way I read the entire injury situation as it stands right now. If it gets back to November and we're having this conversation as LSU comes to town, look at me up again. But I don't think we're going to be having this conversation then. Well, and then as you understand, too, uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Dylan Moses recovers. There's already people wondering if he'll be back at Alabama. To me, uh, I, I don't see how he's going to be a first-round pick after two injuries in three years. He was, I thought, had a really solid sophomore year last year. Uh, he made mistakes, but he, he was playing 100 miles an hour, uh, certainly made progress. If he made the kind of progress that people were hoping to be a Buckus Award winner this time, I think he would have been a first-round draft choice. But taking this year off of this severe knee injury, I don't see how he can be. I know Benny Sanceri left you know, following the 2012 season after he tore his ACL uh, and then decided to move on. Uh, but I just don't uh, – uh, you know, see that happening here with Dylan. Uh, he needs to come back, stay healthy, and prove himself to be a first-rounder. Uh, William, your thoughts on uh, Dylan and, and what he might do? Uh, 
I, we, I certainly think there's going to be a lot of attrition from this roster, from this junior class, if they stay healthy. But within Moses' situation, uh, with, the, with these injuries, to me, he would have to come back. I know uh, J- Joshua McMillan might apply for that sixth year, but though, as you know, you played the game. That's kind of a rare deal uh, when you're a fifth-year senior. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you know, I, it, it's really so far away to speculate on, on you know, what Dylan Moses is going to choose to do from a decision standpoint. Um, you know, I think a lot of that's going to do on – um, you know, what the linebacker draft board looks like, you know, come January, um, you know, for, for the other, you know, senior and underclassmen line, inside linebackers are going to be available. Um, you know, one thing that I was thinking about when Thomas was talking that, that we haven't touched on that, that you know, is kind of at the forefront of my mind is, you know, the Alabama offense in 2019 uh, you know, barring a rash of injuries on that side of the football, it is going to put so much, so many points up. Um, you know, the, the, the defense is going to have, um, you know, an intriguing job to do. I'm talking about the Alabama defense, um, you know, especially if they're scoring points at the rate that they were in the first half um, in 2018. You know, the, this, this offense is going to make the defense's job easier. Um, you know, from the standpoint, because, you know, the, the prevailing opinion is, at least mine, is the opposing team on offense is going to be playing catch-up. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of dictates a lot of uh, personnel decisions and down-and-distance type stuff, um, you know, for Pete Golding to factor in anyway. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into play here. And, and uh, you know, Dylan Moses can still be a very big part of this, this team. Um, you know, he, he can be a leader on the sideline. He can kind of be a, you know, a coach and a mentor to those, those two true freshmen. And, and I just don't think that just because he's injured, um, you know, you're never going to see or hear from him until, until January. He's still going to be a big part of this program. And, um, you know, let, let's move on and talk about the guys that are available and, and the, you know, the players that are going to play Saturday. That's a good segue, William. I, I agree with you there. They've got – Three more guys left in the room. Now, uh, they've got Ale Keho, a true sophomore from Nevada, uh, who had a, had a good year as a special teams player last year, but had a turbulent offseason, to say the least. Uh, you know, from what I'm hearing about Ale this fall, he they think he's a hell of a player, but he's just got to learn to control his emotions. You know, he's, he's a guy that I think, because uh, we know how complex Alabama's scheme is, you're going to make mistakes. And when he makes a mistake, he kind of, you know, kind of he kind of goes into a tailspin, and they have to get him back focused on his job. But if he can just kind of water off a duck's back and learn to refocus quickly, he can play. And then I've heard Jalen hearing Jalen Moody has also had a nice fall. The one that's backslid since the first scrimmage, disappointingly, is Markel Benton. He he kind of let a golden opportunity slip through his fingers after the injury to Joshua McMillan. He played well that day, but I don't think he's done uh, near as, nearly as nice a job since. Now he's got another opportunity because, William, you made a good point. Certainly Shane Lee is going to start. We think Christian Harris will. But they are going to have to rotate guys and play guys situationally. So all of these other three can earn a role. And then maybe to beef up the room a little bit at times, they could slide a guy like Chris Allen over to inside backer because I know they were cross-training him inside a year ago 
you know, in the spring and then when he got hurt in the fall. So is that something you think they could end up doing as far as to maybe get a sixth guy in the room at times? Or what do you kind of expect from the other young guys? I, I certainly, um, you know, based on, you know, um, you know Chris Allen's um, linebacker play in high school, he spent a lot more time playing inside linebacker in the state of Louisiana than Christian Harris did in high school. Um, you know, and I think if you look at his, you know, measurables and stuff, I, I still I don't know if they're still the same as they were when he was a 235-pound inside linebacker, um, but, but he certainly had those as a senior in high school. And like you said, they, they saw enough of that out of him, like you said, last year to cross-train him. I, you know, whether it's him, I don't know. I would certainly give him a look there. Um, you, you know, do, do they in certain down and distances, do they uh, – you know, do they do they slide a guy out there that certainly has it in Terrell Lewis? Um, you know, maybe in some run situations. I don't know. You, know. you certainly want you know a guy like Terrell Lewis rushing the passer when it's an obvious passing situation. But you know, I don't think it's gotten to that stage yet. I think they certainly probably need to think about it and maybe prepare for it from a you know an emergency standpoint. But um, you know, it's just, you know, well, let's wait and see what these young kids can do and how they adapt and adjust. They've got, you know, a lot of Saturdays and a lot of practice days during the week between now and, and you know, the end of September to, uh, you know, get more comfortable, um, to, you know, the college football scene. Yeah, no question about it. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, these young guys and, and how they play and what they do. And now we've got to talk about the other elephant in the room, no pun intended for Alabama. Uh, you know, uh, as, uh, the, the angel has fallen, of course, is uh, the movie was last week. Uh, it looks as though four young men uh, in, uh, that aren't going to be captains on this team, in my opinion, but still big pieces, uh, miss this movie. Uh, as we know, it's the running backs, Najee Harris and Brian Robinson, the top two on the, on the depth chart. And then, Devontae Smith, big-time wide receiver, and Terrell Lewis, who's uh, coming off two major injuries, missing most of the last two years. A lot of conversation about it. It was reported in the media that they would miss, you know, the, for the first half of the of uh, the game against Duke. Nick Saban coming out and saying there's some misinformation uh, that that's not necessarily true. I had known about this for several days. I kept my I kept my mouth shut. I knew it would come out. I think it's probably going to be a situation where maybe not the whole first half, but they're going to miss a portion of the first uh, half, maybe the first quarter. I remember this happening with Damian Harris last year, William, before the Tennessee game. I think he missed a team meeting or or, or whatnot, uh, and then uh, or missed practice, and then wasn't uh, did not start the Tennessee game. Josh Jacobs did and did very well, and we know what he did the second half of the season. Damian ended up playing in the first half, uh, but uh, your thoughts on how, on what could be some discipline i think you got to discipline these guys because it's a football team it's a team activity you've got to be there so nick saban's got to nip this in the bud but it again it's an opportunity for maybe someone like a jerome ford to start and and then we'll, we could also see keelan robinson at running back we know how deep the wide receiver room is and then the aforementioned chris allen could start at the sam linebacker and then have lewis come in later in the first half but just your thoughts on this and how big a deal is it to you about something uh, along these lines? Well, I mean, I think how it's handled within the, the confines of the team is, is the most important thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like they, uh, um, you know, committed a crime. Um, you know, they certainly broke a team rule. And uh, I think the biggest question to me, 
would be, you know, if it was one guy, um, that, that would certainly make a lot more sense. But to have that many, um, especially prominent members of the team, miss a planned team activity like that um, doesn't concern me because uh, I know Nick Saban's going to handle this and the leadership council the way it needs to be handled in-house. Um, you know, we've certainly seen him handle, um, you know, what a lot of people thought would be game suspensions and missing time, um, you know, for some more serious offenses in the past where it turned out that it was, you know, handled by, you know, gassers and early morning workouts. They didn't miss any time. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But, you know, as far as this being an alarm going off, um, you know, is this going to be a, an undisciplined uh, you know, football team going forward, I, I certainly don't think this is an indicator of that. Um, you know, I, I do think that you brought up a great point, Drew, with, you know, the, the constant de- early departure every year of underclassmen. Um, and, you know, and this team certainly doesn't have a lot of uh, senior starters on either side of the football. Um, you know, to me, I think that's going to be the you know, another question that hasn't really been answered yet, and we won't know this probably until November, but, you know, who are those team leaders going to be? You know, I'm not talking about the guys that end up putting their handprints and cleat prints, um, you know, in front of Denny Chimes before the A-Day game um, next spring, but, you know, who who are going to be the alpha guys and and who are going to be those guys that um, show up early and leave late? You know, I know Anthony Jennings has, uh, you know, been one of those guys in the past, certainly one of the you know, the alphas in the locker room that, you know, when he stands up and talks, nobody challenges him from a physical standpoint. Um, but, you know, you need guys like that. You know, and you've got some really good citizens on both sides of the football. Um, you know, an honor student like Jedrick Wills, who's, you know, going into his second year of starting. Um, you know, I think certainly, uh, you know, Tua, by both his play and the way he conducts himself off the field, um, you know, is one of those guys. So, um, you know, you, you've got some guys on both sides of the ball, but you need, you know, kind of a handful, um, you know, in that locker room for the team chemistry and, you know, everything to kind of fall into place. So, you know, to me, I think that's actually a, a bigger question and, and a bigger, you know, still to be determined unknown um, than sitting around and, and, you know, wrinkling your schedule up and throwing it in the wastebasket over the loss of Dylan Moses. Well, you know, and again, it's it is concerning uh, with Moses, of course, going down. And I, but I agree with you on the suspensions. I think Nick Saban will handle it. Uh, it will be uh, handled internally. I will say this: if this had happened in the spring before the season, I think this is extra running, some other, uh, you know, sort of punishment. I don't even think they missed time in a real game. It just so happened it's about a week before the Duke game. There's a game coming up, and so that may be how this is handled. Uh, but certainly Nick Saban will get these guys' attention. Uh, and, and then I think the Dylan Moses injury may galvanize these guys. Uh, I know I heard Terrell Lewis was very upset about it because of what he's gone through himself. Uh, and these guys, I think, are going to be very motivated to play Duke. But speaking of that and kind of transitioning, the depth chart came out, William. I didn't find too many surprises on it. Uh, certainly we talked about it ad nauseum. It looks like, though, more and more Chris Owens is going to get the start at center. Uh, at least for a while, Deontay Brown is suspended. It could be when Deontay comes back, he could take over right guard and Landon Dickerson slide to center. But it looks like Landon is going to be the right guard. Uh, we've talked about him being one of the best five. You just talked about Jedrick Wills, outstanding right tackle, uh, you know, a, a potential very high draft pick in the NFL. 
Uh, and then, uh, then the, the freak, I call him Evan Neal at left guard, uh, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. Still the makings of a very promising offensive line. But Landon Dickerson, he's been a quick study. If he can stay healthy, he looks like he's going to bring a nasty streak to this O-line. That's what I keep hearing. Uh, just your thoughts on Landon Dickerson perhaps landing at right guard. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if, like you said, Drew, if that's still the case, you know, come the first, you know, game in October. Uh, but, you know, certainly he's come in, um, you know, and I think has benefited from uh, having a really good offensive line coach. And, and certainly, um, it, you know, that, that's such a unique position because you can be really, really good. And if you're not surrounded on either side of you by, by good players, you know, sometimes your great play gets lost in the shuffle because if one guy, you know, busts a play or is constantly getting beat by the guy across from him, it can it can affect your play as well. Uh, but but certainly, I think he's you know benefited from you know upgrading in in programs, so to speak, going from a um, you know kind of a shit show at Florida State and you know certainly a, a subpar offensive line coach in Rick Trick. And I mean that guy's ended and ruined more careers than any other line coach I think I've ever seen. Um, and, and you know part of that you know issue with with Dickerson at Florida State was he was forced to play out of position early on his career, in his career at offensive tackle, um, you know versus being an interior guy, which he's got that luxury at Alabama. So um, yeah, I mean I think you know when you look at this offensive line, um, it's not just you know Landon Dickerson bringing a physical presence. You know Jedrick Wills is a very underrated uh, SEC right tackle. Um, you know, the, whoever ends up winning the permanent center job, I think that's going to be determined by, uh, you know, if Deontay Brown comes back healthy and motivated from his suspension. Um, you know, certainly Evan Neal could be the most uh, physically gifted and, and possibly the most talented guy um, down the road on that offensive line. And he's, you know, still a baby, just like Christian Harris and Shane Lee are. So, and, you know, let's don't forget Alex Leatherwood. I mean, I think he's a guy that's um, – you know, put in his time and has certainly benefited from Coach Flood's coaching and, you know, has kind of come back with a, a really good attitude and put in a lot of hard work out there at the toughest spot to play on the offensive line at left tackle. So I'm really excited about that unit. You know, however the five shakes out against Duke, I don't think that's going to be the same five, um, you know, that you see versus, uh, you know, say Texas A&M. Uh, that's an interesting thoughts. And, of course, uh, now – uh, Giles Amos was not at the top of the tight end depth chart, but uh, he was mentioned with Major Tennyson and Miller Forstall and even Cameron Latu. I still think Giles will see a lot of action. He's earned a scholarship. Uh, his, his nickname has now been revealed, Trailer Park Jesus. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, we're excited to see what he can do as a walk-on. He just got just earned a scholarship. And, William, I know you, you played with a lot of guys, including Dabo Sweeney, that earned scholarships as walk-ons. It's always great to see somebody. This guy truly wasn't recruited and grinded for five years, and now his final season he's getting a chance to play uh, and really is the reason they didn't go into the transfer portal for a tight end. So I'm going to be interested to see his role on Saturday against Duke. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that's, you know, earned the respect, um, you know, of his teammates in that locker room with his physical play. Um, you know, back in the spring and during during fall camp, and I'm looking forward to seeing play. I haven't really had a you know an opportunity um, you know to get a chance to watch him much. And like we talked about, 
um, you know, over the summer, um, you know, could this guy, um, you know, end up being a, you know, a Kelly Johnson type unsung hero on this role. I mean, that guy was, um, you know, very, very, uh, played a very big role, um, you know, in that national championship team that he played on. So I'm looking forward to seeing him, and I always like seeing guys that, um, you know, because he really hasn't had a chance to play up until this year, um, you know, not not significantly. And I always enjoy seeing guys like that that stick it out, that, you know, don't let the fact that they may not even be dressing out on Saturdays the year prior. Um, when they get their opportunity, you know, they, they kind of seize the moment and, uh, you know, get the most out of their ability and contribute to the framework of the team. So he is a guy that I've kind of got circled and I'm really looking forward to see what he can bring to the table here Saturday. Well, we talked about the linebacker core on defense. I'm anxious to see DJ Dale in his first game action. We've seen enough in the spring and scrimmages. We didn't get a chance to see him much in the fall, but uh, Coach Saban was talking about he was doing very, very well. Now, Justin at Bogby, we can update him. He got a slight foot injury. He tried to play through it early in camp because he didn't want to lose practice time and reps with the, with the ones. His performance started to fall off, and then they noticed he was limping, and they got him checked out. Uh, and he's got an injury that probably will help keep him out until the South Carolina road game uh, in September, second week of set, you know, a couple of weeks into September. Uh, so, but if they hadn't uh, got him checked out, it's, it's good that they figured it out because he might have broken it and been gone for the year. So it shouldn't be the case. He should be able to heal up and be back and be a part of that rotation. Uh, but, you know, uh, so we're, I'm anxious to see it Bogue be as well. But we get a chance to see DJ Dale on Saturday. Uh, very excited about him. So we're going to see three true freshmen in this star studded recruiting class. And then this secondary, William. Uh, because of the loss of, of Dylan Moses being the signal caller, we understand Shane Lee and Christian Harris have impressed the coaching staff, uh, and they, they think Harris is more athletic than C.J. Mosley at the same stage. Uh, and, I, and I've heard this about Lee since the spring. He's a very quick study and almost has a football IQ like a Sean Dion Hamilton, so I know they're excited about him. But because they've never played in a game, uh, I, I still think the signal calling is going to come down to a couple of veterans in the secondary that are going into their third year starting as Xavier McKinney, who's played a ton of football, and then Shy Carter, who's Nick Saban so high on that knows everyone's job. What are your thoughts on maybe Shy Carter and Xavier McKinney handling some of those signals? And then also, uh, this coaching staff on defense, last year you, you brought up the term shit show. That's pretty much what it was with Tosh. He wasn't ready to be the D.C. yet. Pete Golding took over a month in uh, with a lot of the signal calling. And then, you know, you had uh, Kuliagowski who really didn't fit on that D-line. Now you got Brian Baker, and now you've got South Sanceria veteran and Charles Kelly, a former D.C. With the, the, the leadership and the stability now of these veteran coaches on defense, the communication should be better. But talk about uh, maybe the signal calling being done by some of those guys in the secondary. Yeah, I think that's, absolutely, you know, actually a, a very natural progression, um, you know, especially with all the – you know, accolades we've heard that the, you know, the coaches have talked about with what a, you know, a, a coach on the field that Shy Carter is. Certainly, um, you know, I think McKinney's been in the system long enough now where he could, you know, play that role as well. Um, and, you know, you've got, um, um, you know, so many people back there on the back end of the defense that, that are experienced. And, you know, the, the, the great news is that there's some, you know, some other young guys like Brandon Turnage and Scooby Carter that are, you know, not far away from being ready to, to uh, 
um, you know, make their name back there as well. Um, you know, I, you know, I think of all the stuff that you touched on, Drew, the one that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad about it because, you know, I thought this guy was a slam dunk five-star defensive end um, after his junior year in high school. I have no idea how the, the recruiting services didn't see it the same way, but, um, I, you know, I'm glad that they caught, you know, a Bogby's foot injury. I don't know if it was ligament related or, you know, it sounds to me like it was starting to turn into maybe a stress fracture with those things can, you know, really become nagging and problematic. Um, but, man, I was really looking forward to seeing him this Saturday. Um, doesn't sound like I'm going to get to see him much for the month of September. But, yeah, I, I just really like hearing that story about, um, you know, him trying to play through the injury and didn't want to miss a rep, especially once he got elevated to first-team status. Um, you know, I already kind of know what D.J. Dale can do. Um, I watched him do it here in Birmingham at the high school level. Uh, but I was really looking forward to seeing a Bogby, um, you know, terrorize the, the Duke quarterback in their offensive line Saturday. But I'll just have to wait. Uh, but they're, they're, like I said, that, that to me is, is the best part of, you know, the, the kickoff of college football season every year. Is, you know, I, I know what Jedrick Wills can do, and I know what, um, Raekwon Davis can do, and I know what Tua can do. You know, I want to see, you know, what all these newcomers can do. And they've got such a talented recruiting class, um, you know, that's come in. You see how quickly guys like, you know, the two linebackers, albeit due to injuries, um, you know, Bogue, B. Dale, Evan Neal. So, you know, I want to see what these newcomers can do. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad to see that Nick Saban, because uh, it used to not be this way, um, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago. I'm glad to see Nick Saban finally getting comfortable with, um, you know, if a true freshman is the best player, uh, play him. And, uh, you know, that, that looks like we're going to get to see a lot of that this Saturday. <laughs> and, William, as we're wrapping things up, last few minutes, this matchup with Duke, fifth-year senior quarterback Quentin Harris played uh, situationally. A couple starts last year when Daniel Jones was injured. He's now a first-round pick with the New York Giants, trying to follow in the footsteps of Eli Manning. He will get to start more of a dual threat guy. They have a, a pretty good one-two punch at running back. Eight starters back on defense, seven on offense. But, but even with these injuries, with I just don't see Duke athletically being able to stay with Alabama past much in the third quarter. I think it's going to be around a 56-10 to 10 game. I'm sticking with my score even with this injury. I think Alabama is going to be able to slow their O down. Uh, and put them away early in the third, and I just think it's going to be a runaway train. I think two will play three plus quarters, and then we'll see Mac Jones. But I just I, I don't think this is a great matchup for Duke, and I think Alabama is going to come in angry trying to make a point. I think it's going to be a beatdown, much like Louisville a year ago. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think with the inexperience um, at inside linebacker, you're probably going to see, you know, David Cutcliffe trying to do a lot of crossing patterns. Uh, certainly the uh, Achilles heel uh, wheel routes will probably be in full effect. But, I, you know, I just think this Alabama offense is, uh, you know, way, way too talented and explosive for the Duke defense to slow down, period. Um, Alabama could probably name their score if they want to. I know they're going to try and get those starters out of there, you know, by the fourth quarter and play the, you know, the backups. Um, you know, maybe I could see Duke scoring, you know, 14 or 17. Um, you know, in the fourth quarter versus the backups, but it's it's not going to be a close game. I totally agree with your uh, Louisville comparison in the season opener last year. It could get ugly in the first half, I think. Yeah, no question about it. And Thomas, 
we'll bring you in. What is your What are your thoughts on it? I, I just don't see it as a, a great matchup for Duke. Anything can happen in football. Upsets can happen. But I don't think this is, uh, uh, you know, from a standpoint of offense and defense and Alabama's uh, strength in the trenches on both sides, I think it's going to be uh, a matchup that, uh, that Duke is just going to – they're going to come out the worst for wear in this deal. Well, I think – the, the, the most accurate prediction I've heard so far was the sirens as William gives his because... Yeah, we've heard enough of those probably. <laughs> but... Uh, you Sorry know, about that. No, oh, it, no, it, no it, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm not right even going to cut that. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, Alabama has overmatches Duke pretty much everywhere. It's... And Alabama, as in season openers, is just a monster. They almost always cover, particularly recently. And, you know, let's just say that you buy into the notion that Clemson annihilating Alabama has put a bad taste in this team's mouth. If you buy into that notion, then Duke's going to get their heads kicked in. I think Alabama wins something in the order of 63 to 13. And essentially this is one of those things where if William has any eligibility left, he'll be able to play. If the nacho guy in Atlanta has any eligibility left, give him a helmet and shoulder pads. He'll be able to play. And the only reason that Alabama might only win by 35 and barely cover is because Nick Saban respects the hell out of David Cutcliffe and doesn't want to embarrass him. But you know, if Alabama decided to score 120, they could score 120 this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, they really could, and I, I wanted to, uh, to kind of close it down with this and get you guys' thoughts on it. Uh, to me, it makes my head hurt. I just don't understand how people can be this stupid. I mean, uh, it really – it just really uh, irks me. I mean, I, and it, it really amazes me when you're trying to, you know, beat a, a program and you're uh, trying to, you know, become relevant again in the SEC. Uh, but Scott Woodward, the athletic director uh, at, at LSU, to me – it just completely sticks his foot in his mouth. And I just want to read you this quote today from his press conference. I mean, he had a lot of his, uh, uh, you know, boosters around him, a lot of uh, administrators from LSU. But here's what Athletic Director Scott Woodward said on Nick Saban. I know that there's a guy in Alabama that has regrets that he's not here today, and shame on him. But we have one, Skip Burtman, with a higher IQ that's here today. I just don't get – now, you haven't beaten a team since 2011. You're the new athletic director trying to get this pr- football program back on solid ground and turn it around. Uh, Coach O had a good year last year, and yet you get your ass beat in your own stadium 29 to nothing. You don't even scratch, and now you're going to Bryant-Denny Stadium, and you give Alabama that kind of bulletin board material as an AD that's supposed to be one of the sharpest in the country. I did, to me, it's just, uh, just I'm, I'm just amazed – uh, continually at LSU's just obsession with Nick Saban, William. Your thoughts on Scott Woodward, to me, being that stupid uh, and letting that, something like that. You can make a comment like that, but make sure media is not around. I mean, uh, that amazes me. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's, I'm kind of amazed like you are, but at the same time, I mean, I think that just reeks of desperation, and, and that's, you know, where the LSU football program is. Um, you know, right now, I know Nick Saban, um, you know, has the utmost respect for the state of Louisiana, um, still has a lot of friends down there in that state, and, you know, has always treated 
um, you know, that program with the utmost respect and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't think it's any secret, you know, six months after, uh, you know, he took the Miami dolphin job, he wished he could have had a do over and stayed put, um, in Baton Rouge. Glad that he didn't, but you know, there's no need for that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, Yes, it's a lack of class. Um, certainly, it, it makes me question whether or not he's the right guy to, um, you know, lead that athletic department. But, uh, I mean, it's going to put Ed Odra on, you know, because he's going to be the one with the microphone in his face for the majority of the season going forward. It's going to put him in a bad spot. And speaking of uh, IQs, uh, I don't know if he's the guy you want responding to those type of comments in the media. So, you know, he, he's liable to, you know, rip his shirt off and start doing the, you know, the Hawaiian war dance again. Um, but you know, that, what, what, whatever, I mean, you know, say what you want to say, it's not going to change the outcome in November. It really isn't, but, uh, it's been an interesting show, no doubt about it. A lot of uh, things to talk about, uh, especially with the injury, unfortunately to Dylan Moses. Now we're going to see the young bucks take the field. As William said, still a lot of excitement to see these guys, the DJ Dales, Christian Harris, uh, Shane Lee. Even uh, Jordan Battle in the secondary, I don't think he's going to start under any circumstances, but I think if this turns into a beatdown, he's going to get a chance to play. So you're going to see a lot of young players uh, in that secondary, perhaps even a Brandon Turner. You're going to get to see some young guys that are uh, going to be stars later on down the road, a DeMarco Helms uh, that may get some action in Atlanta in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I will be there uh, covering it for 97.7 The Zone, along with our good friend Brett Beard. We will uh, be traveling down there together on Saturday morning, covering the game, and then coming back. And so we will have a full report. We'll have BAMS Radio next week rehashing this ho- hopeful uh, uh, tied victory. We want to see Tua Tungvaloa play very well this offense. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens with these suspensions, who gets a chance to start and play. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see. And this offense, as William said, is going to be very hard to stop. want to see this offensive line. I don't think they're going to get to vary their game plan. If uh, Brian Robinson and Najee don't start, I still think uh, if it's a guy like Jerome Ford, they're going to come out, they're going to run the ball. I think that's uh, something that uh, Steve Sarkeesian wants to establish. And then, of course, they are going to attack through the air, hopefully with some play action to make things easier on Tua Tungabaloa. But really looking forward uh, to this game, just finally to get football back for Alabama and get the juices flowing and hopefully put this this difficult training camp with these injuries uh, in the rearview mirror. But, for Thomas Watts, the Wizard, for William Redfish Barger, I'm Judy Armin. We hope you've enjoyed BAMS Radio tonight. We will come back to you next week. We're going to be here on a weekly basis now talking Alabama Crimson Tide football as they try to climb that mountain to number 18 again. But good night, everybody, and roll tide.